Bandwidth for This Week in Photography is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This Week in Photography is sponsored by Audible. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash twip for a free downloadable book. We are back for another this week in photography. Uh, it is a uh, it, it's, it is going to be a crazy a crazy uh, show. Uh, we've uh, we're pulling this stuff together. We we're, we're very it's very important. Uh, Scott, who's on the line? Hey, Scott. Hey, what do you, what happened to hey everybody? I did say hey everyone. Said, oh, hey, I said hey everyone. everyone. Well, you know, I like to change it up a little bit. I like to be spontaneous. Hey, I like to move it around. Hang up on the show and say this is not this week. In <laughs> it's an imposter. It's not really Alex. <laughs> well, you know, you know, I like to I like to spice it up a little bit okay. and, and have it there. So I am, I am in a beautiful Gig Harbor, Washington, where it's a balmy seventy five degrees and sunny, and this is the one day a year it's like this here. <laughs> the rest of it's the rain festival. Yeah, we have the rain festival the rest of the time. Three hundred sixty four right days. Pretty darn there. good. <laughs> also on the and we're going to pull him into the show, Aaron Mailer. Hey, Aaron. Hey guys, Aaron is 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 always on every show, and he 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 has a he's our producer, and uh, we are running a little short. We had some technical difficulties. Ron was not able to join us, uh, and we're recording uh, on a slightly different day. This is going to be interesting because we the the interview we basically changed everything. We changed. We have changed everything because we are committed. Most of us are very uh, you know very busy. We're moving around, and and uh, but we're committed to making sure the show comes out on time and on schedule. And uh, so we pre-recorded. We actually have a great discussion later in the show with uh, David Griffin from National Geographic that Steve, who's not on this call, uh, and I uh, uh, had in the middle of the week. And then we're going to be talking, of course, around that. So you'll get you'll get almost all of us uh, together, uh, but just not quite all at the same time. So uh, so just a quick reminder. First of all, we'd like to make sure we thank Cashfly for uh, their support uh, of the show, and also Twip is sponsored by Audible. You can get uh, you can go to audiblepodcast.com slash twip and don't forget that you can win a Drobo. So what's so it's is it a, actually, actually the Drobo we gave away. We gave it away. We gave it away. Now we but have, our we have notes, a ten, ten our item are, package worth about a thousand dollars this time. Right. Right. I uh afraid I, I got caught reading straight off the notes here and uh, I am uh, but it's a it's a ton a ton of, of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna throw Aaron under the bus on that one. So the um uh, the ton of stuff. So, um, and I don't have the list right in front. Well, it's of me. you know, it's Aperture, Lightroom, it's it's uh, DP Matt, DP Matt. I know it's, that one. It's it's a copy of VM Fusionware. It's a copy of a great set of headphones. I mean, it just it's jam packed with stuff. It's a thousand dollars worth of stuff. To win it, all you have to do is link to us. If we select you, then you're the winner, and we'll be checking our referral logs uh, October 30th to pick that winner. And don't despair if we don't get picked then, because you know we're going to just keep one of these going every quarter. And we we need you to link to us because that's how people find out about the show, and we need people to find out about the show so we can justify working our butts off on the weekend. Right. Right. Yes. So um, definitely uh, make that work and get get those links out there. So in the news today, uh, in the news this week, finally, and we've, we've heard about this for a long time, and finally, Microsoft's Photosynth goes live. Have you guys looked at this? I can't. You can't. I'm you can't on a Mac. 
You can't. I'm with Scott on that one. I could do it in a VMware, but I haven't had time this week. It is um, Photosynth is a is a pretty amazing uh, application. Now I, I think it's going to be on its way over um, to uh, to the Mac, but on the PC side now, and and you can look at the results if you go up and look at some of the movies uh, for Photosynth. Uh, you can look at the results of what happens, and basically what happens is you can take a whole bunch of photos taken by different cameras. Uh, at different times with different people and everything else, and it can pull together, figure out where those photos are. I mean, it has to get some a little bit of information, but essentially put those together and build a scene that you can tour through. It actually is getting three D information that we're not getting. We don't. I, you know, of course, the first thing I asked them when I saw it was like, "Can I? Can I? Can I get that dot? <laughs> can I get all the dots?" And uh, that they don't give that to us yet. But but they um, essentially will uh, assemble all of these photos. Of, figuring out the overlaps. And so you get this um, incredible uh, uh, view of locations. And so uh, it's a very, very exciting technology. Uh, and it's just really, uh, it, I, the, the possibilities are, are you know, the idea of going through large amounts of photos in, on the web and, and so on and so forth and uh, putting together these huge tourable kind of things online. I, I, I think it's a very, very exciting. One of the most exciting technologies around photography that I've seen in a long time. Um, and, 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 you know, I've, we've, we've had Bill Crow on the, on the, uh, on the show and we've, you know, I've been talking to him for years about it. So we've seen it kind of progress and finally, at least it's out somewhere. Now, of course, it'd be nice if it was out on a Mac. It's coming. I think the con, I think the concept is really interesting. There's a couple of questions in my mind, you know, what are the final applications for it? I mean, conceptually it's beautiful. What are the final applications? The other thing is, is Will people who are serious photographers want to participate because there are some obvious copyright issues involved? Well, I don't know. I think one of the interesting thing about it is, interesting things about it is, is that it doesn't require uh, you know professional photographers to go out and do this. I mean, you can have no, it, does, it doesn't. It does not. But what I'm saying is, will professionals want to participate because you you kind of make your photo part of somebody else's photo? But like I say, I I, I think it's I do think I agree with you, Alex. It's very exciting. I'm not, you know, it's one of those things like, you know, in, in motorsports racing, they came up with, you know, anti-lock brakes and everybody said, well, that's great. You know, what are we going to do with it? Well, it finally found its way to standard passenger cars. We got to see what this is going to actually do right. in terms of the average photographer. But I do think it's exciting. I mean, one of the things that we want to do with it is is take out certain areas, like go into certain areas of San Francisco and just take a bunch of people, you know, it's, it's kind of like those photo tours that we've done in the past where right. you get a whole bunch of people go out and take all of Union Square and. San Francisco or all of a certain area around the Golden Gate Bridge and take some wide shots and close-ups and everything else. And then Photosynth, we should be able to just throw these at Photosynth and have it put together a tour, you know, that you can kind of wander through. That's an interesting collaborative approach. And I'm, you know, I'm going to ask an attorney, could that group of photographers then copyright that collaborative image? That would be cool. It'd be interesting. You know, I'm not, I think a lot of people would just do it for fun. <laughs> well, and, 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 and indeed, I'm, I'm sure they will. And when I mean, you look at Panonomia, Pano, is it Panonomia? Panonomia? I haven't seen that site. Panorama. It's, it's all part of uh, the GPS locking with, uh, with Google Earth. And you just have a lot of enthusiasts, and, and it's amazing. Um, you know, you type in Harari Zimbabwe and you get all these photos that have been linked to certain square, you know, certain corners and everything else, right. just by people who think it's fun. And I think that, you know, I know that for me, if when I'm traveling, uh, one of the things I'm going to be doing is is kind of canvassing areas that I think are interesting. You know, this uh, on Monday, I'm leaving for uh, Amsterdam and Paris, London, and Harari Zimbabwe and Lagos, uh, 
Nigeria, and uh, and I'm you definitely going to find You could just go to areas. Cleveland like everybody else. I could, I could, but I'm not <laughs> going to. So I'm going to be I'm going to be traveling for three weeks, and I'm definitely planning to take a whole bunch of test cases. You and know you while have I'm Windows doing Windows machine there. Uh, I have a I have a Mac with with I uh, boot camp. Oh, so, okay. So I uh, you know I I, I uh, have 40 gigs kind of given to uh, the PC well, you know side. Me, I'm a pure blood. I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so it's uh, so I'm going to be playing with. Uh, it, I think it's a very exciting technology and definitely worth checking out. Now, speaking of Microsoft and rights, which we kind of touched on with that, Microsoft took a little bit of a misstep. Uh, Aaron, can you give us a, a fill us in on what happened here? Now, this is re- regarding Flickr. Uh, yeah, apparently um, Microsoft, I believe it was Microsoft in the UK, um, was doing a contest uh, to promote the new Windows Live image search. And uh, the contest was not to shoot your own photos and submit them like most photo contests. It was to find other people's photos and submit them. Um, and I believe the theme was uh, basically the most quintessential British image or something along those lines. So essentially, the, uh, the, the images you're supposed to win with are not your own. And uh, you can imagine how well that went over with a lot of photographers, particularly <laughs> people on Flickr who were pretty upset because images that were in private areas on Flickr, not generally visible to the public, were being yanked out and thrown into the contest. So uh, there was a. How was uh, that? It was just of, it was the people flag. who had was the people who had private access to those groups. I, were I suspect that's the case. I, I don't think it's any uh, you know any kind of sneaky uh, getting around anything. It's just a matter that everything in front of anybody was uh, something they were willing to uh, to potentially submit. So they were submitting things out of areas that they were invited to privately. Right. And uh, Nikon, who was uh, supposedly going to be the award giver in this thing, backed out of the process with a pretty cranky sounding uh, public response too. So. Uh, I'm afraid that kind of came unglued. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's one of the ones I think they probably would probably wish that they had uh, gone. This was up in no front doubt created. This contest was no doubt created by the same division of Microsoft that came up with "Welcome to the Social" as the model for the Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so anyway, so that's uh, that's the other side of it. Uh, but they uh, Microsoft got both ends of the stick. Something very exciting and something not so exciting. All in one week. It's very very impressive. I, I think they're going to fix that. I yeah, think. no, I'm sure that they'll sort that out. The uh, Canon has shipped a 100 millionth digital compact camera. That's a lot of cameras. Yeah, and at 82 megapixels each, that's a lot of megapixels. <laughs> <laughs> We're yeah. getting up to where they're going to start shipping the 82 megapixels any day, I'm sure. And it'll still be on the APS, APC size sensor, whatever it is. Um, I, you know well, that's that's a staggering number, a hundred million, just well, I, from one just from one company. Exactly, exactly, and that's really I think getting to the point where we're really starting to see. Uh, I mean, we, we've been seeing this progression, but uh, it really is almost ubiquitous. I mean, I think that there's a lot of people talk about Big Brother. I think there's also Little Brother, <laughs> or lots of Little Brothers. Where well, let's put it like this: all one hundred million of those people can get into a United States baseball game with those cameras, but not a serious camera. So who knows? Maybe all those cameras combined. And we'll get a good picture. Well, and, and they, maybe they'll use Photosynth. So you know, just stack it all together. Yeah, now that's yeah. an approach. Yeah, maybe that's the use. Well, you won't let us take our long lenses and our quote-unquote professional cameras in. We'll all take a million little digital cameras and we'll put our pictures So you're not allowed to take into a Major League Baseball game? You're not allowed to take a, a 35 mil, or like a SLR? It depends. I mean, they, they enforce the rules however they kind of want. But the actual pro photographers that are shooting those events have to sign the single most 
onerous release I've ever seen anywhere. Major League Baseball technically owns every photograph you take inside one of their stadiums. They may let you use it, but they own it if you take it. And that's just one example of, you know, we, we've been reporting here on TWIP and on the blog for months about various places that they won't let you take a quote-unquote professional camera. I just think it's funny that, you know, you know, we're getting to the point where these compact cameras are going to start to mirror some of the pro features. And then I wonder if we'll see the same amount of idiocy from the folks that are making those rules. And uh, if they'll understand that, you know, we, you know five years from now, we'll, with the G34 or whatever that comes out, we'll be able to take the same picture we can take with the D3. Well, and we'll be able to take we'll be able to take thousand frames a second. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, when I look at a hundred million, a uh, hundred millionth uh, digital compact camera, I just think of all the potential Twip listeners. There you go. There's listen. <laughs> there are ninety nine million of you that are not listening. What is going on out there? What are you guys Let's thinking? Spread the word. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> also, you you can give your iPhone three G a telephoto lens. Now that's what I need is, is, you know, cause I want to go out and shoot wildlife with my iPhone. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I think, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to Africa. I'm thinking maybe I'm going to take my iPhone out. I'll throw a little telephoto lens on there and take some pictures of elephants. Uh, so it's, it's just it's the dorkiest looking contraption I've ever seen. So, so anyway, this, this sticks to your iPhone. Is that, is that correct? It's like a case. It's almost like a, like a crystal case back for the iPhone. Oh my that gosh. I, I, oh my I think gosh. You're you probably going to need to look that at it. If you're listening, if you're listening, we're gonna, we're, we're, okay, we've got the we've got the link in the show notes. You have got to take a look at this thing. <laughs> okay, you know, so this, it, is, this is this falls in the category of photographic abomination. Yeah, <laughs> it's like I'm sorry. You just look at it, and it, it's like, yeah, I don't even know what and it's if like. This company in Hong Kong wants to sue me. Go for it, because I'm as far as I'm concerned, my constitutionally protected opinion. This is a photographic abomination. This is the this is the iPhone version of of putting uh, all that big spoilers and crazy <laughs> stuff on your on your on your uh, on your on your Honda Accord. You know, like you know yeah. the, the the little the shiny wheels and the and the jump shocks and everything else on your Accord because it's just like this huge. I mean, it's, you got to get. It's not like a little thing that attaches to the to your uh, iPhone. It's like a big lens that that that, that somehow sticks to your iPhone. Just because you can do something does not mean you should. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Further on, we have a site of the week, Visions of China, Newsweek Olympic Photo Blog. Scott, can you give us a little bit more information about this? I picked this site this week because I got to tell you, I've fall, I, you know, I started my career as a sports photographer, although it was motorsports, but I love sports photography. And my gosh, the Olympics has always been, you know, where the best photojournalists assemble that cover sports. And you have to be pretty good to get there. This year's crop has, I, I, I mean, I am staggered by how good the photography is. And this is a great, there are many places where you can see collections of Olympic photography. I just happen to like this one because you got also an inside look at what the photographers were thinking because they're writing blog posts, etc. there. And uh, my goodness, the, 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 the things that they come up with. If you really want to be inspired, if you you know if you're out there thinking about shooting anything, go look at this and see what these folks did. They really got some just stupendous photographs. And the yeah. cool thing about this is it reminds us that even though video gets everything and there's you know footage of everything shot at the Olympics on video, that moment in time that you don't notice in video because it moves by too fast is captured beautifully, like the grimace of an athlete just as they hurl the disc or as they strike a, a hurdle when they're running the 100-yard 
hurdles or whatever it is, that moment that you really don't see on video, although you saw it, if you know what I mean, mm-hmm. is captured here. It, it's just stupendous. I, I spent about an hour looking at this site, and for me, that's, that's unusual that something can hold my attention that way. So check it out. We, we'll have the link in the blog. I just want to know what kind of wide angle or even fisheye lens that's required to uh, catch the bolt, you know, the, the, the spinner yeah. bolt and everyone else. You know, you, you can't really do that with a telephoto lens. You, you're going to have to, you know, use a wide angle, possibly a fish angle to see the next person behind him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But incredible photos. Um, and, and it's always exciting to, you know, you, you see in just an enormous, uh, it really is the best of the best. I mean, that's what, that's what the, the, uh, not only in the area of the sports, but, but people covering it. So definitely worth it's checking a- out. It's a really sobering taste, too, of being a pro photographer in, a, in an event that big, too, because particularly the blog's in reverse chronological order, so if you start at the front page that the link's going to take you to, the tone of the writing is, you know, these guys feel like they're half dead by this point. I mean, as exciting yeah. and, and wonderful as the Olympics are, the last few days, they're them counting down the days. They're like, I just, I got to get out of here. I got to get home. <laughs> and if you, if you want a good taste of, you know, just how little sleep you're going to get as a pro photographer covering yeah. an event that big. Uh, it's it's really raw. They're uh, all imagining the uh, the two weeks of sleeping after this. So and be the, sure to check out the tilt shift lens photos on there. Yeah. They are just fascinating. Awesome. Uh, rumors of the week. We have, we have a couple rumors of the week that we'll go through real quickly. The one rumor is a quote unquote accidental inventory listing. Um, this is if you can read Chinese, um, you can <laughs> find it. That's that's what's required here. Evidently, is um, this is the, the the rumor is the Canon 50D. Uh, 15.1 megapixel ISO 100 to 12,800. Um, it is. Uh, it looks pretty uh, pretty rugged. Uh, anyway, so that is the. Um, it'll be interesting to see if that comes out. It will be. I'll get some people using who who are Canon users to uh, at least blink before moving to uh, to Nikon. So um, uh, so I'm I'm excited. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be watching. Also, uh, Nikon uh, has a press conference on October twenty seventh. That's not a rumor. That is a the, they're August having the press seventh or October twenty. Sorry, August twenty seventh. So that's next week. Um, so there's a press conference. No one knows what's in the press conference. Most people are guessing uh, it could be the D ninety, possibly the D three S. So um, and so we're uh, we're gonna be kind of waiting for it. But we're all building up towards, of course, Photokina. Yep. Coming out at the end of September. And, the, and there will be a plethora of photographic press announcements. I know we don't have a lot of news this week, but coming up as we start to build towards this, I think it's going to get pretty hectic. I think we're going to end up doing nothing but news the week of Photokina. Yeah, no, I, you know, I was, I'm in, I am so close to Photokina only a week and a half before it, it happens. Yeah, you're not going to go. Well, I, just, not, I, I don't think wait. any of us are actually going, but um, I do have a friend that's going. I'm trying to get some information from him. I mm. did, however... Uh, secure my spots for PMA next year. I'll be covering that, and and I might get over to the uh, what we used to call Photo East, the uh, Photo Expo. When in New when York. is PMA next next year? That's in March, I believe. Okay, great. Yeah. So cool. I've got I've got that I got that covered. Got my press credentials. Got my hotel reserved. It's not too early to do that because it fills up quickly. Oh, I should but, do that. But I'm going to cover that. I'm also going to try to get to Photo East in New York, although mm-hmm. it's wicked expensive. Yeah, yeah, and 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 photo uh, PMA is in is in Vegas, right? PMA is always in Vegas. Photo East is in New York. There used to be a Photo West. Mm-hmm. They now call it, by the way, it's now called Photo Plus Expo, but it used to be called Photo East and Photo West. But they did away with Photo West. Now it's just Photo East, and it's a pretty big show. Twenty thirty thousand attendees, and uh, this year I don't know how it'll do. Com- 
considering that it tends to do a little worse in the Photokina year since it's close to Photokina. But uh, if you're on the East Coast, you definitely want to check it out. Although they they mention that show as a place that you know is designed for the the, the trade, they'll let anybody in. So right. <laughs> uh, you know, it's not like PMA. PMA, you actually have to be involved with the trade. But you know, Photo East, if you got a point and shoot camera. They'll let you in. Excellent. Uh, we've got a, we've got winners. We do, which is everyone who submitted, of course. Everybody, everybody. So um, winners, uh, but we have two that were uh, that were um, that we're picking out here. This is the, the this is the we had th- it was a three week challenge and it was the number eight. However you wanted to interpret it, and uh, and so we had. You know, can, can you tell us a little bit about the winners, Scott? Yeah, Jetty Webb uh, used a photograph of a spider's web. Um, Jay, Jay Scullin, I should say, is the photo is called Jetty Web, and it's a, it's a photograph of a spider web, and of course spiders have eight legs, so that was a cool interpretation. You can almost see an eight in the web. It was a very striking photograph. There are lots of very uh, cool interpretations of the number eight, by the way. That was my favorite, and then uh, the runner-up was a very well uh, photographed clock with Roman numeral eight. And it had nice composition, nice color, nice balance. So those were the two winners. And uh, the winner, Jetty Webb, will get a copy uh, of a book from uh, no, none other than me. <laughs> Very good. I'll send one, of my, one or two of my photo books to uh, Jay Scullin. And then um, next week, the topic challenge is circles. So any kind of circles that you'd like. It's up to you, whatever you see for circles. Now, we do need to mention this, that we're going to close the Flickr photo assignment form to new submissions uh, any day now. And now I'm going to leave it up as long as Flickr will leave it up so people can see the old images. But if you want to post an image for the new photo assignment, you have to do it at Photrade. We'll have the links on the blog at twipphoto.com. And the cool thing about this, Alex, is everybody's going to get to vote because the people whine and snivel and moan <laughs> based on whatever we choose. Right. No, I think it's great. Democracy so they will, in action. They will get to have a voice in picking, and then they can only get mad at themselves, whoever won. Perfect. So uh, definitely check that out. We've got, we still do have over, uh, almost 6,300 members in Flickr and uh, over 3,200 in the Critique Forum. So uh, we're still doing a lot in Flickr, but we're moving the challenges to Fotrade. And and by the way, you know, you can't sign up for Fotrade on your own, but you can sign up because it's still in closed beta. But if you come through our link to the contest, you can sign up. But that's <sighs> the, the only back way door. to do it. We have a back door. And by the way, it's absolutely free. So don't no concern nobody's trying to sell you anything we're not getting paid anything we're just moving it there primarily because they have this nice contest engine and people get to vote rather than just us perfect we had some polls from the last uh, last week what brand of printer do you most use uh, and Epson 41%, Canon 29%, and HP 23%, 23.6%. Everyone else was almost nothing right so those are those yep. are really the those are the big ones the big 3 i have an Epson yeah, built in 1946. <laughs> it's, 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 it's just a retrofitted typewriter, really. Do you have a printer, Aaron? Uh, yeah, I've got a, uh, an older Canon and, uh, and also an Epson. But I have to be perfectly honest with you, um, more and more I'm leaning toward you know, running my stuff through labs uh, if it's something I really, really care about. And if I'm working on it here and I, I want to put a lot of special effort into it where I might do a dozen prints to get it exactly the way I like. But uh, until I move to a, 
larger format apps and that costs a lot more than I'm willing to spend right now. Um, I'm mostly sending my biggest or most important shots through, uh, through online labs. I have to admit the, the vast majority, I think the reason that of course I don't spend that much, uh, time on a printer is because the vast majority of my stuff, I, you know, it stays online. I mean, it stays, I, I want the high resolution ones, but I don't print that much out. I print a handful of things here and there. And, uh, and, and I do send it out somewhere to have it printed. And also when family members want it, I'm afraid that I just simply use, uh, Apple service through either iPhoto or Aperture just to print stuff and send it to them. <laughs> just like, you know, I want to, it's so much easier. Like I have to admit that I didn't even think about it. Uh, and I think Lightroom has a, has a service like this as well. Uh, and there's lots of great services. In fact, we, we had to have a discussion on one of these shows about, um, different services that you can get to print stuff. But yeah, I, we're, I, we're, we're trying to research that. The problem is, is it takes a lot of time, but we, we that we do have a chance to, to do that show, Alex, and we will. Yeah. Cause it's, it's the, it, it's so funny. Cause I, once I started, once I printed a book, you know, I printed a book out of just out of iPhoto and, uh, as a test. And it was so good that I, now I print books, you know, I'm printing books, I print cards, I print all kinds of stuff. And, uh, it's just, I, I don't even want to think about doing it myself. So I think that's uh, that's why I have a printer made in 1946. Some uh, some groups that I shoot for ask for um, you know in addition to the digital copies they want thumbnail books you know for reference to use within their environment and I've been printing those for a while which is gets a little frustrating sometimes I mean things like Lightroom and I'll do a very nice job of of outputting those for you but I just decided after the last round of that that from here out I'm basically sending those you know through a service as well and getting spiral bounds or yeah you can just charge you know a lot of times down. you can charge the client for it. You yep. know, you just charge whatever, you just pass the pass the cost through to the client and they don't mind paying the extra $50 or whatever it is to have it printed out. And then oh, it's what's just a done. fraction of that? 20 yeah, or exactly. less in some cases. And, and so you just, you just kind of fire it out. It's, and it's it oftentimes it costs less than you doing it yourself. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. With the cost of ink and paper and, and the printer misfires half the time for one reason or another. And right. uh, so again, it's a frustration level and expense level for me more than anything that's kind of driven me to use an online you know, yeah. resources. Mm -hmm. I'm using an Epson 3800 and I love it. <laughs> well, you're, you're, you're more of an artiste. I think. Yeah. I, think I mean, I, I want to have more control. I mean, yeah. I, I subscribe to the Ansel Adams philosophy as the, you know, photograph isn't a photograph until it's a print and the artist isn't an artist until he covers both ends, making it and printing it. Well, I don't, I also, I don't disagree with that at all. especially in the standpoint of you know, if you, if you invest the kind of money um, in a 3800, if you're really serious about printing, the quality is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I don't do enough printing to need to do that. And I think yeah, a, lot of, a lot of people don't these days. More people are like, you know, Alex. They want to, you know, brides in particular, it's staggering to look at the difference having, you know, worked weddings on and off over 30 years. I mean, in the old days, it was nothing but prints and books. Now nobody wants those. They want online slideshows. Well, well and it's... Uh, more and more people, and we're going to make some photographers upset when we say this, but more and more people like, are like me with the wedding, and I, I didn't want, I just wanted all the photos. Yeah. I, mean, I don't want, to, <laughs> want you to print any of them. You know, I just want, I just want, just give me the, the, the I, at the end of the day, I just want you to hand me a bunch of cards, and, uh, and, and we'll be done. And, uh, and for me, it was, it was perfect. I made the realization of the last Epson that I bought that um, to replace all the ink cartridges and it cost more than purchasing the printer at Best Buy. So literally, if I ran out all the ink cartridges, I could go buy one brand new at Best Buy with that comes with all eight ink cartridges in it. So you just and throw it would cost away the printer. Just buy yeah, exactly. Printer. You can throw the printer with a built-in scanner, nonetheless, out and buy another one for less than it costs to go buy all the ink. Of course, you never run out all the, all the ink all at once, but still. Yeah, so it's so we have another uh, poll for you here. Uh, what OS do you use for photography? Apple OS nine, Apple OS ten, Unix or Linux, 
Windows XP, Windows Vista, or other. So, like, we're wondering if the, someone's using the BOS and maybe Palm. Yeah, somebody's going to come in with CPM or something. So I covered that <laughs> yeah. with other. And uh, OS 10 seems to be leading the way. Excellent. All right. So the uh, is there a lot of Unix users? No, no, not not so much. Although you know, technically that underlies OS 10. So I don't know if people are going to vote for OS 10 or Unix Linux. But yeah, I'm, I'm interested. Um, I'm really interested because obviously I'm going to expect that it's going to be head, neck and neck between OS 10 and XP, and uh, it'll be really interesting to see uh, how, how those you know. How those well, two what I think we'll out. find out, Alex, is that while 93% of the computers in the world use Windows, far, you know, it's, it's far closer when you start asking photographers what they use. It's, it tends yeah. to be more 50-50. Yeah, yeah. So it'll be fantastic. If you, wanna, if you want to vote, you can go to twipphoto.com and, uh, and, and make sure to let us know what you think. So, and by uh, the way, the uh, answers to the question are presented in random order, so as not to in any way sway the vote. Perfect. Now what we're going to do is we're going to jump into a pre-recorded uh, interview with uh, David Griffin of National Geographic with uh, Steve Simon and myself. This week, we have David Griffin, uh, who is the Director of Photography for National Geographic. Hi, David. Hey, how are you doing? Doing, doing very well. And, uh, and so one of the things that, and, and we also have, you know, of course, Steve Simon here, and we're, we're bringing this in here, and uh, we... I'm very excited, I have to say. <laughs> I'm very excited about talking to you. I, you know, for me, National Geographic, um, you know, is has made a huge difference in how I look at the world. I mean, a lot of my work in Africa that I do uh, was based on um, looking at old National Geographics as a kid. So uh, mm-hmm. the photography made a big difference. Now, how did you end up uh, at National Geographic uh, as the uh, as the uh, director of photography? Um, well, gosh, I actually, this is my second tour at the Geographic. I started here uh, in the, let's see, uh, 1989 as a uh, designer. I had been working at uh, the Philadelphia Inquirer before that, working on their Sunday magazine, which had a pretty good reputation at the time for handling photography. And um, I started as a photographer, and have always, and, but slowly worked into becoming actually more of a designer because there was such a need for people that knew sort of how to design with photography. And so it sort of became an area that I, I you know, had great interest in and I like design and now, things like that. Now, when that. you say but, design with photography, what, what, do you, what do you mean there? I mean, working with photojournalism, uh, knowing how to, you know, <laughs> the sign of a good artist is knowing when to stop. <laughs> and, um, and so, you know, oftentimes I saw, you know, photographers work just being mangled um, mm-hmm. and not allowing the photography to just come forward and be sort of treated um, as it should be just straight up and um, so you know I was uh, working a lot with photographers to help I worked with um, the probably the best piece we did in Philadelphia was the initial work with Donna Ferrato on her domestic violence work mm-hmm. and working with her to, to bring that story out which I think we ran in three parts two or three parts but um, so anyway that uh, caught I think that caught the eye of ge- the geographic uh, in terms of sort of having a sensibility about pictures and telling stories with pictures and um, allowing design to step back. Because Geographic has never been, certainly at that time, wasn't a magazine that you would step up and say, wow, this is a really well-designed magazine. It was, it was really a great magazine for showing photographs. Um, and so that was what the interest was in my background as a journalist. Anyway, fast forward, um, I worked at the Geographic um, as a designer, uh, working with the photo editors, uh, very closely with the photographers, which is one of the really nice parts about the geographic is how involved photographers are in that process. Um, uh, I mean, they are there when you are 
putting the layout together, when you're talking to them about which picture is the right picture to represent this event. I mean, their their voice is very much front and center. Well, and, and that's the, I mean, National Geographic, of course, the the uh, the editing. I mean, the the copywriting is 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 uh, pristine, but the the photography is obviously the thing that the magazine really you know leans on i mean that's pretty sure. much that that's the thing that it's it's communicating um throughout the process so the so the photographers aren't really just shooting and then letting it go like sending it off to to a magazine they're they're really uh, part of that entire process yeah and that's very important to us because i think you know what we're trying to do is is to um both capture you know you've done a when we put a photographer in the field we're committing quite a bit of our resources to supporting that work and it would almost be financially foolish not to involve them in the final you know the final few steps towards the finish line on on getting the piece published and so we've always felt that their voice directly i mean if i'm sitting down looking at two pictures and saying which one better represents the situation i'd rather ask the person was actually standing there um, to tell me, you know, that's the one that really captures it. And so but what it also does is it, 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 by involving the photographers directly in that process, they also then learn how we do our, pro- uh, do our process. And so they're more aware of it when they're in the right. field. So there's a, there's kind of a win-win situation out of that. It, it helps to grow those who uh, choose to, to sort of work with us. How do you find photographers for National Geographic? I mean, do they, um, is it something that is, is, is it a, I mean, how does that, does that pool come from, uh, it's just the general, uh, you, you see photos that you, that you really respect and you want to have someone involved or do they come to you? How does that, I, that I, initial t- I take work? cash payments that works. <laughs> so, you know, very simple process. Um, no, you know, you just keep your eye on the ground. Uh, it's, it's more of a challenge nowadays because the old model in which, you know, I think when I started in photography back uh, in the, you know, the er- or the late 70s and early 80s, you know, there was a sort of a stepping s- stone process where you you started out at a small newspaper and you worked your way up through um, circulation, you know, jumping from one paper to a bigger paper. And eventually, you know, you got into a scene where uh, the geographic was the next logical sort of jump off of that, off of that trail. Um, and that worked for a long time until newspapers began to sort of retrench or, or at least um, uh, stop uh, putting as much resources into producing long-form documentary work, which is the, you know, which is the core of what we do. Right. And so, the, in many ways, the farm teams aren't existing out there. So, it makes it a little more, I just have to be a little more active about it. Um, How do you find, you I know to, that National Geographic has opened up a, uh, a, a place for enthusiasts to start uh, sending uh-huh. photos in has that made have you ended up using anybody repeatedly after after using their photos for um for a piece there oh you mean in the uh what is that the your shot part yeah where people send in their pictures uh-huh no 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 one's no it's just, it just these are just great photos and people are in the right place at yeah. the right time yeah i always like to say that everybody can take has one great photograph in them <laughs> and but i'm not hiring people that just take one great photograph right now how so. do you david david uh speaking of some of the the old models that you mentioned uh in mm-hmm. terms of the newspapers uh it appears that there's a bit of a, a panic in the the publishing industry newspapers specifically as as readerships are following and and they're looking for new ways to to make money from from the web Etc. How is National Geographic, the institution, the magazine, faring in this kind of uh, new world that we're seeing in publishing? Um, you mean in terms of just making a decision to not dedicate as much resources to gathering great photography? Is that sort of the question? Well, no. I'm. I'm. The question really is, um, uh, you know, economically, is is the magazine uh, as strong as it's always been, um, or are are you are you doing anything uh, to sort of shake things up, change things? 
Well, uh, as our publisher likes to say, you know, the publishing industry is stressed. Um, <laughs> and uh, we're, we're fairly, you know, we're not immune to it. I think what's happening at newspapers is the front lines of, you know, a, a, a seed change in how people are gathering information and, and, you know, viewing information. And, you know, the web is a part of that. But, you know, there's, a, there's something else going on about you know, reading, to be honest. And, um, and so that, you know, that definitely is something that we're, we're very much concerned about it. But are we immune to what's going on? Absolutely not. No, we've seen our, you know, our circulation has, is, has dropped. Um, you know, we're, we're, luckily, we also have fairly good advertising. So, so we've been able to prop up that loss, you know, with, with advertising. But, you know, it's still there that, that the, the habits and how people take in information are definitely changing. Um, and, um, you know, we're very much aware of it. Do we have a solution? Um, I don't think so. Other than I think that the days in which you go out, um, you know, do a coverage, bring it back, have it published, um, even on the web too, are, are kind of over that you've got to figure out ways to take, you've got to take that material and, and squeeze everything out of it that you possibly can. And that means, um, you know, carrying it on into some sort of a project that eventually works as a book or, or, um, you know, I know you have to be, you have to start doing a workshop or you have to, you know, you have to do seminars. I mean, all kinds of things to try to get that work so that it's um, being propped up, not just by the old model of just have it printed and, and you're done. It, it looks as though, too, that, you know, the website, uh, the geographic website, seems to be catering a little bit more to the, the growing number of, of hobbyist photographers. And that number, as we know, is, is growing. And a lot of our, our listenership is, is made up by those. How, mm -hmm. how important is that group uh, to, to the magazine and to the future? Well, I think that the, with the geographic, you know, we, we, we do consider ourselves for sort of a leader in photography. And so, um, you know, it's been great to watch this. Uh, surgeons and, and you know interest uh, brought back to still photography because of digital photography so um, you know in the long run it, you know we have some of the best experts in the world on what is or isn't a great photograph and so we're trying to sort of put that available to people to you know to their own photographs um, and what, it, and what, you right. know, it, it's definitely something that is of interest. You know, it, it's the kind of thing that definitely drives traffic to a website. I mean, it's it's fascinating. And what do you when you look for what what makes a great photograph when you when you talk about that? What are the first things that you're really looking at? Well, I think I mean, if you're are you talking about the photographs that people submit or the photographs that I'm dealing with in terms of story construction? Yeah, well, uh, I, I really what, I, what I'd say is story construction. Like when you're well, story looking construction, to put that together. I'm you know we're very interested in in narrative and and mm -hmm. how you tell a story with pictures. How do you take someone through a complex idea, you know, with, in a visual form? And so, but ultimately, one of the things that I've always felt that the geographic sort of figured out its sweet spot is is that when you strip away the photography, the National Geographic is a science magazine, hmm. and that's really at its core. And so what the geographic, you know, whether it planned to or not, it, it figured out a way in which it could bring the human dimension through photography to science. And we help people to understand, and, you know, a lot of it's social science, a lot of it's, you know, but there's also, you know, we, um, you know, paleontology and anthropology, those are, those are always very, very important topics to our readership. And it's my job to figure out a way to to do compelling photography on all the topic, uh, bleh, all the topics that we cover, and I think 
what I'm looking for is a photographer, not so much a single picture, but I'm looking for photographers that that understand the content and figure out a way to bring it to life in photographs. Right. Oftentimes, we talk about wanting photographs that at their highest level, they make an emotional connection to a reader. And that's, that's, that's when you've got the sweet spot, that you've got a story that is a... It's about something that's important, that, it's, that it is something that is, is grounded in some of the core subjects that we deal with, but it also connects to people on a human level. That's, when I find that, that's, that's, well, that's who I try to hire. <laughs> now, David, uh, oh, I was going to ask you, um, what is it or how is it that you know, the, the still photograph has maintained its communication power you know, in a world of moving images, video, and, and still um, yet the still image uh, seems to, to, to always survive and thrive, if you will, uh, with all the sort of oversaturation of imagery around us. Mm-hmm. Well, I had a, um, there was a, oh, I'm sorry I don't have it in front of me. There was a study that was done about something called flashbulb memory. It was by a group in Florida, and um, I wish I could give them credit because I don't have it in front of me, but I did read the, the piece on it. And um, it talks about how, when you have an emotional, um, when you have something happen to you traumatically, you store that event in your head in either a very, you know, people talk about time standing still. There's actually mm-hmm. sort of a physical process in which you slow down and capture that emotion, that, that what you saw during that emotional event. And that's mm-hmm. something I think that is at the core, whether anyone understands it or not, I think that's at the core of why still photography resonates above video on a certain level because it replicates the way your brain remembers emotional events in your life. And, um, you know, I, I had to give a talk once and I just recounted that there was this time when I took my son uh, to the beach and um, he was, well, was, I think he was about six years old. And so he was getting brave into the, into the surf and I was sitting down for a moment, took my eyes off of him and he got swept out into the, into the ocean and they're not in the ocean, but he got pulled into a riptide and, and I saw it, I started running after him and I could still see this moment where I'm running and I just, and, and right now I can see this so clearly in my head of, I've, he's got his hands, they're outreached at me and he is mouthing to me, save me dad. And I am there, and I'm only a second away, but I can still clearly see the rocks are there on the left. This wave is about to crash over him. His hands are outreached. It happened for just a second. The wave crashed. I grabbed him. We got on shore. We were fine. And, um, and you know, that was it. But you can see that I still have this image in my head, and it's because it was such an emotional moment. I mean, here's my child possibly in serious danger. And so I froze that into, into my head. And so I think that's the kind of thing that you connect with with still photography. Well, and, I, and I know that for me, I mean, that's the primary reason that I take a photo. I mean, when I'm, when I'm out there taking, most of what I do is behind the scenes. So whatever we're working on, uh, whether it's production or, or I'm traveling or whatever, it's mostly just sh- capturing. And for me, what I'm trying to do, or, or I capture a lot of my son. <laughs> and, yeah, um, sure. And, but a lot of it is, is that I want to remember this moment the way it is right now. You know, and, I, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's the, and there's something about it. I don't want to remember a, a segment of the moment, like being video. I find that there is something very uh, useful in just having that that image that I want to. That's the image that I want to remember, you know, um, of whatever I'm doing, whether it's my son or Africa or whatever. I, I don't want to forget that that segment of it. Now, well, also, you, look at it. Look at it from a practical viewpoint. It's more efficient. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One photograph 
you know, you can spend time looking at a photograph and there's an internal dialogue that you have in your head about that right. single photograph. But if you're watching video, you can't have that internal dialogue in your head. You have to just watch it and then maybe you can talk about it afterwards. But, you know, so you're, you're always disconnected from video in some weird way. I mean, it can be very enthralling and you get caught up into it. I mean, Jesus, you know, I just saw the latest Batman movie. And just, God, it was like, you know, <laughs> that totally enthralled. But, um, uh, but uh, you know, that, that, internal dialogue similar to what you do when you're reading um just it, uh, it exists with a still photograph in a way that video doesn't yeah and I, and I think that i think that uh one thing that people getting into photography think of is you think of you're capturing a story but you're really telling it you know with i mean the how you set you know the type of lens you use and the framing and the, everything else is really setting up i mean it you you move the you move the uh, camera you know three feet the other direction and it, tell, it might tell an entirely different story Somebody said a great photograph is a matter of inches. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now, how have you seen digital photography change uh, the way your business works? Uh, in terms of how it works, well, I mean, just um, I mean, well, just just has it, how has it changed photojournalism for you? <laughs> um, okay. Has, has it changed it at all? Is it the same? Is it? Is it? Are we um, in the? I mean, has it? Uh, there, there was a time when I remember very distinctly when we went from sort of film to digital. There were a lot of film guys that said they would never do it, but but obviously now I think the advantages are obvious to everybody, and the quality is no longer an issue. So yeah. with you know, with that being said, uh, I I know geographic. Were you right at the beginning? Uh, changing or was there, was there hesitancy i know you weren't there at the time but was there hesitancy to get into this uh, sort of new world no i don't think there was any hesitancy i think the geographic has always attempted to be sort of forward thinking about new technology with photography um, all the way back to autochromes and you know that that whole you know flash photography of wildlife and things like that so i mean it's uh, we absolutely embraced it and i think when i started about about three and a half years ago um, we were probably I think there were about 20% digital at that time and, um, you know, the rest uh, film. And within one year, that number had flipped. Um, and that had a lot to do with the sudden improvement in the, the sensors. Once a photographer saw it, that it changed um, and the quality level came up to the level they needed, they, they went to it very, very quickly. Uh, partly because this, these are photojournalists and um, they refer to it as uh, bar light, um, being able to photograph in a bar. And um, this camera gave, you know, these sensors with their ability to see, literally see in the dark was, was all they needed to see. That was, that was the main thing. It was like, oh, my God, I can take pictures, you know, in situations that I couldn't before in which I had to do strobes and all the things that interrupt reality. And um, once that happened, once that took off, everybody just flipped. Um, but, uh, but not everybody. I mean, we still do, you know, we still maintain our analog process, uh, for those who wish to, I do not force anyone to do digital photography if they don't want to do it. Uh, we have, you know, we have two or three holdouts who really are not holdouts. That's actually, you know, it's a, uh, they, they, <laughs> they, they like film and I don't blame them. I mean, I like film too. So, um, uh, but, um, you know, more and more the, the conveniences of it, the economics, uh, we certainly like it for a process, um, our, the amount that's being shot on stories now has probably doubled with digital, and mm. that would have been an overwhelming burden for us if the if the number if the amount of film had doubled because physically mm. just picking up a stack of film and putting it into a, lo a projector and pushing a button on it 
takes you know two to three times the amount of time it does to take and review pictures digitally one at, one after another with the the push of a button and so at the same time that we that we switched to digital and started using digital editing the photography the amount of photography increased but we were able to absorb it because all the editors could work so much faster and so yeah. you know so there was a great balancing thank goodness because you know in these <laughs> days of trying to ex you know it's hard to expand staff nowadays um and so um you know that actually turned out to be quite a boom so it's actually made us much you know, it's taken away all the physical i mean we just spent a lot of time moving physical film around this building and tracking it and you know memos and everything and and now it's all you know it's all handled um you know with a with a content management system now what can i ask you what kind of content management system that you uh, you use in oh general? god Oh please, I'm not a tech person. <laughs> so um, somebody it's not anything that. off the shelf. It's uh, right. uh, oh god, I'm going to say it wrong. It's uh, SEC, uh -huh. um, uh, Media Grid, uh -huh. and um, I'm happy to connect you with a person who can tell you all about it. I actually had a photographer come in. <laughs> Sorry, it works. That's the bottom line for you, from your point of view. Uh, yeah, it, it does what we need it to do. Um, yeah. You know, there are there are things that are off the shelf, like Aperture, Lightroom. Lightroom is something that I, I use personally, um, you know, that have aspects for if you're just doing personal workflow, you know, where it's sort of soup to nuts in that kind of vein. But we're dealing with huge amounts of data here that have to be treated. You know, that's this this is our, you know, these are our, our um, I can say our, our mind or we have to, you know, we have to keep it safe and so right. there's you know all kinds of backups and and you know methods by which this material cannot get uh destroyed okay. so david, that, david no, oh sorry sure no, go, go ahead. ahead please please continue all no, right i was i was gonna ask another question and and uh the question is um uh, how do you expect the magazine, uh, you know, maybe has changed a little since you've started and um, will evolve under your visual uh, sort of stewardship? Um, what do you see as the, the future, some of the goals that you have for the magazine uh, over your tenure there? Um, okay, well, to start with, how has it changed? I mean, I think the biggest change and what I came in with was uh, the change to um, uh, the new editor, Chris Johns, who is the first actual field photographer to become the editor of the magazine and um that means and and chris is a very demanding photographer um and thus you know the his standards um for what was acceptable for the magazine uh it are you know he raised the bar very high and you know i'm i'm honored and thrilled to be trying to reach that bar on a daily basis um mm. and um you know that's part of what we talked about when i first came on was uh Partly to open it up a little bit. I mean, I think the geographic had been seen professionally as a bit of a closed shop, and I wanted to open that up. And then, and then that's that's overstating it because there was certainly geographic was was always looking for talent, but um, not quite the same. I, I'm I am very interested in sort of um, just as an example, you know, archaeology is very very important to us, um, and we see it. Uh, in our readership surveys, it's always rates very, very high. And you can imagine most documentary photographers are not interested in archaeology. And I do think that the magazine kind of said, well, readers love it, but, you know, we really don't have to do anything special here because they love it. And my feeling is, no, 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 we need to actually raise the aesthetic on that kind of work. And so I started 
specifically looking for photographers that did more fashion work and large format work and people that had an aesthetic towards, you know, treating an object as, as a, well, treating these artifacts as beautiful objects. And, um, you know, we've been, and we're still working on that. I mean, it's, it, again, it's hard to find someone who has developed an aesthetic that literally comes out of the fashion world that also understands the journalistic side of it. And that when you find that combination, it's a sweet spot. And we've, you know, we've got a few that are, that are doing it, you know, extremely well. Um, and so that's sort of my viewpoint of it is, is that there's no part of the photography at the magazine that can be allowed to um, get away with not the absolute best quality we can figure out how to do. Um, mm. So that's, that's been sort of that. And, and so there's, that's one thing. It was just try to both open the place up so that we could uh, start, look, you know, looking at different types of vision within, I mean, this is a big ship that moves in a very set direction, has a very loyal readership. So you don't, we're not just going to suddenly turn around and become some completely different publication that would be, that would be uh, publishing suicide. So what we're, what I'm doing is just nudging it. Um, but I hope in my heart, and I think it's true that the readership has become very sophisticated about photography and is willing to sort of go on these turns with us even when we turn down some roads that may not you know be overly popular but i think that you know it's nice to at least try that and chris supports that so that's been fun and interesting and challenging in the last few years but i think that the probably the bigger question is the one we were touching on before which is how are we going to survive into the future how do we continue to produce the quality we want while we're being stressed um, financially. I mean, that, that, that is, I mean, you know, I want to maintain our standards and do all that, but I also, you know, we also have to stay financially healthy and that, that is a big focus. I mean, it's a, that's a big, that's, that's the, that's the, the piece that's always out there in front of you that you're always looking at because you do want this thing to continue to believe in it so strongly that, um, and, and I also, you know, I feel strongly about the fact that we do value photography. I, I mean, I don't want to just start buying photography for less money. I mean, that's not, that to me is, is uh, a road to ruin because if you devalue the thing that you built your entire publication on, I'm not sure what you're saying about that. So what do you, uh, how are you really uh, integrating with the digital world? Um, uh, what, what's the uh, roadmap um, for, um, uh, you mean in terms of the web? Yeah. Uh, really just starting. I think that's been a big focus of us in the last year. The, um, uh, we hired, uh, 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 art director, um, well, art director, I'm not quite sure what his title is, but he's, um, uh, Rob Covey who came from, uh, discovery communications and he took over just the magazine portion of the site. Uh, we have a sort of a broader society website that feeds all the entities that the geographic is. And, um, Rob came in and, and the magazine site was a bit, um, slow in responding and and wasn't really you know wasn't exploring a lot of the things that now we're starting to explore with like your shot and community photography and and trying to reach out to readers and get them involved or not even readers but just anybody um, about uh, particularly photography that's one of our you know we've identified that obviously as a, a very obvious core um, but there are other you know other initiatives like like I say you know archaeology and paleontology that connect to a certain another type of audience, um, and the environment is obviously a very big story for us um, in terms of readership interest. So Rob built improved the magazine only part of the site and started and and Rob was great. He came right to me and said 
you know, I want to work with you. I want to work with photography, anything you want to do. Um, we get along. So it's, you know, the lines of communication, there were no, there were no barriers, anything that he wanted to do. You know, we talked about it, anything I wanted to do or how much I wanted to get involved. So it's been a really open environment. And lo and behold, his numbers, like and the nice thing about the web is you see the numbers immediately and his numbers <laughs> went, his numbers went through the roof. Right. Um, compared to the rest of the site. And so now, lo and behold, he's in charge of the whole website. Right. So, and so, but they're right now going through that whole, I mean, this just happened, you know, three or four months ago. And so there's a whole realigning going on. But I do think that one of the, one of the things that we're trying to do is to capture the, not, I don't want to do the magazine online, but I want to capture the spirit of the magazine online. Right. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And, and that's that's sort of what I think is sort of driving. But, the you know, the web is a different beast. You know, you still look at it and people love to make puzzles out of pictures and, and download wallpapers and things like that. And it's, you know, it's it's not... It's not quite up my alley in terms of what I'm doing, which is more reporting and journalism. And journalism, um, the web is a slightly different vehicle for that. So, okay. um, absolutely, David. Uh, I, I was just going to say, I, I know you get this question a lot, and you know, throughout the years of my teaching photography, I think most students, if, if I had to, yeah, I, I would say the most of the students want to someday work for National Geographic, it's their dream. So what advice would you give to uh, those photographers out there that uh, um, have that dream? And, and what would you say to them? Well, um, pursue it, please. I mean, you know, I always use new photographers. I mean, that's, you know, that's uh, the, the very best photographers seem to, you know, we try to find our way to them and, and hopefully they're trying to find their way to us. Um, uh, I, you know, I totally encourage it. I mean, you know, I yeah. love photography and love it as a as a craft. I I do think, of course, it's challenging um, it, as a, you know, in as a, um, you know, the, well, I guess the first thing I'd say is don't expect <laughs> to make a lot of money. Um, yeah. But uh, and be are, are there certain about it? Yeah. Are there Sorry, certain commonalities ahead. amongst the uh, the highest end photographers and the, the photographers that you respect the most? Certain qualities that keep uh, appearing in those people. Yeah, they have. I guess it's a bit flighty sounding, but they have an almost sort of zen-like um, ability to be able to just so easily take photographs. Just look at something and come away with it with an image that's that you know is d- says exactly what they were hoping it to say. I mean, when you see a photographer in that group, it's just a great thing to watch and and hopefully be part of. Is is that they are just going out and going someplace and they're watching something going on and they are just naturally flowing, taking photographs. And that's, you know, that's what I'm looking for in photographers are ones that are absolutely locked in on that creative flow that also understand the needs of communicating it back to a regular person. Um, so, Great. but it's very, very hard to define. I mean, you know, it's, and I hate to say it, but it's, you know it when you see it. Yeah. And, um, you know, there are a lot of photographers out there now, um, and, there, and you can see a lot of photographers. The web has been fantastic for that. But it's interesting still that when it comes to those photographers that are really in that groove, it still a, seems like it's a finite number. Um, it's always changing. I mean, I, you know, just looking at, um, you know, a couple of uh, new photographers that came in with work with us uh, uh, just this week. And, and you're just looking at them going, oh, you're, you're on, you're, you're there. And that's just so great to see. I think that that's, that's something you see oftentimes where it's just someone's eye uh, is just very difficult to reproduce. I know when I work, I, I you know, have uh, spent a lot of time in animation. 
And I remember working at a, a large facility where there were 600 animators <laughs> and uh, there were, there were like uh, 10 that were the ones that you'd put all the hero characters on, you know, yeah, to, to right. do the animation. It just, and, and it just, it was very, very difficult to, uh, to, to find that, whatever that is, you know, mm-hmm. their, their parents, their background, their, you know, their uh, experience, so on and so forth. Yeah, there's certainly the, I guess the frustrating, but also the magical part of it is there, there is no formula. Yeah. Um, photographers come from all walks, from all places. And, um, you know, it's because it is such a, um, such an art form, it, 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 can, it can find its seeds almost anywhere. Yeah. David, uh, where uh, can people find more information? Do uh, you, you have a blog? Um, uh, somewhere people can can check you out. You know, oh God, I, I have a blog, but I haven't updated it for a while. So it, it technically, doesn't that mean it's like not a blog if you don't like, do it all the time? Um, I wish I was more online. I just, I'm, you know, to be honest, I'm so busy. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, there is a there's a place called uh, Editor's Pick, uh, which is in. Uh, I think if you click through the photography part of the geographic site, there's a blog site and you can go there and you can find it. And I usually try to pick out a photograph and, and write about it or a photographer's thing. And um, I, I'm ashamed to say my last blog was in May. It's <laughs> 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 been a busy summer. Um, so, um, but I, you know, uh, I, I try to, I try to update it, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm a terrible blogger. That's all it comes down to. So. <laughs> I'm, I'm afraid that I don't have, there, there's not, I don't have a, an online presence. No, no worries at all. David, uh, David Griffin from National Geographic, thank you so much for your time. Oh, you're right. It was great. And there we go. And now we're going to jump right into the Audible Pick of the Week. Aaron, can you give us a pick? Sure. I'm glad to. Um, in fact, uh, it's proof that I'm an avid Audible user because... Uh, you just keep on coming out with them. Well, for the second time here, I'm, I'm going to actually pick one that I'm currently listening to. Excellent. So it's not that I just have piles of them around and I'm not listening any longer. I'm constantly in one or another. Uh, so the one that I just got uh, actually last week, and it's and I'm quite quite enthralled with it. It's a book called The Last Supper, and uh, the author is Charles McCary. In fact, I believe one of the reviewers' quotes on there said that uh, most of the finest spy novelists are, uh, are people who had been spies themselves, and they mentioned McCary's name. So I haven't really looked him up yet to find mm-hmm. out what the background is on that. But he's definitely writing like he knows, I can tell you that. Um, it's an unabridged copy, uh, as are all the Audible books that I ever choose, and uh, 16 hours, 13 minutes. And uh, let's see, there's a quote on here from Audible. It's probably a good summary, better than I could give you right now. It's, uh, it's a spy novel that begins uh, just before World War II and covers, again, a couple of generations, uh, starting with the OSS, which eventually becomes the CIA, and the aftermath of World War I, World War II, Vietnam, and the Cold War. So it's got a pretty wide span, and uh, he's got a tremendous way with the words. Uh, I think as far as spy novelists, my favorite still remember, remains uh, John Le Carre, or Le Carre. I'm not sure exactly how you say it. But uh, I think he's the best word crafter in the world when it comes to spy novels. But McCary's right up there with him. So I think anybody who would grab this would thoroughly enjoy it. We hope that a lot of photographers like a lot of spy novels because Aaron does. (laughs) (laughs) If I'm doing the picks, I'm afraid there's going to be a certain bias. (laughs) That's great. No, that's fantastic. The thing to remember, of course, is that Audible has over 50,000 titles to choose from. And so you can get out there, no matter whether you like spy novels or not, all you have to do is go up to www.audiblepodcast.com slash twip. You're going to get a free book. 
Oh, I mean, if you haven't already done it. So if, if you go up there, if you're, if you're new and you want to jump up there, you can get a free downloadable book uh, at audiblepodcast.com slash twip. So uh, make sure to uh, check it out. Uh, I'm I'm stocking up tonight. I'm, I'm getting ready. I'm doing my final packing for uh, for my, my three weeks of travel. And uh, I'm, I'm going to be getting... I'm, gonna pro- I'm probably going to get one of the spy novels that Aaron's been um, doing and then a bunch of... And of course, I, I'm going to make sure that I don't leave without the Spartans. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> You just listen to it over and over again on your whole trip. I, I was thinking about it. I was thinking, you know, I bet you I could listen to it three or four more times uh, before the end of the trip. What I'm hoping to do is I'm hoping that Audible will do 1421, which is a historical novel that um, that I'm, my cousin is reading. And he suggested it. And my problem is, is that, of course, I, I don't even think about buying books anymore. I just think about going to Audible. So as soon as someone says, oh, there's this book you have to read, I, I just go up to Audible. Is it there yet? Oh. No, it's not there yet. I guess I won't read it until they get to it. So, um, so anyway, audiblepodcast.com slash twip. That's T-W-I-P. T-W-I-P. Um, the uh, li- listener questions coming up next here. We've got a question from Steve Soper. I want to say Soper. I hope it's Soper. Uh, it says, I have a comment and a question related to your recent discussion about the limited future of APS see sensors. I uh, do a lot of uh, sports photography using a Canon 40D and a Canon 70-200 f2.8 um, and uh, he said a 1.4x extender when the light is sufficient. It seems to me that the 1.6 multiplier effect uh, provides a significant advantage. Uh, the full frame sensor uh, wouldn't have as much uh, reach on the soccer field. Now his question is, is, is I'm seriously considering a purchase of a Canon 300 millimeter 2.8. In the future, if I plan to switch to a full frame DSLR, uh, will the 300 millimeter still have enough reach? And with the expected advances in ISO capability, is it worth the expense of the 2.8 versus an F4? Scott, what do you think? Well, first of all, to correct uh, his assumption, if you go out there with a full frame camera, you do have the same reach. All you do is crop, which is all that's happening when you use an APS-C sensor. So let's get that myth debunked. Uh, Secondly, most serious sports photography is done in the 400 millimeter range and above, depending on, you know, what the sport is, obviously. Uh, You know, if you're shooting from the photographer's pit in baseball, football, major sports like that, you see a lot of 400 uh, F4s. Uh, some 500 f4, 600 f4s. You obviously can shoot with shorter lenses if you have opportunity to sit on the floor, for instance, underneath the basket in basketball, or you're covering something like high school wrestling where they'll let you write down on the mat. You can even work with a 20 millimeter lens. But having covered, you know, motorsports uh, for six years, there was, you know, very little uh, use of a 300. It was all 400, 500, 600. So my advice is if you can, if you can afford you know, the real fast 400s, if you're a Canon shooter, go with the 400 f5.6. That is a very sharp lens. It has, it's an amazing lens for the money. Uh, it's set, it's in the price range that you would like. The 300 2.8 is really nice and really big, but it's just not quite enough reach for me personally. I'd rather, rather have a 400 f4 f5.6. And the one thing to, to also realize when you're talking about uh, ISO versus uh, your aperture. Uh, the uh, the thing to remember is is that you're getting more out of the ISO than ju- I mean you're getting more out of a, a faster lens than just more yeah. light. You know you're also getting a shorter depth of field, which oftentimes can improve the uh, you know the focus of your of your image. You know that- and and the sweet spot is at a wider aperture, which be- makes for better bokeh. Right. 
So you know, mo- most people don't realize that lenses are not at their sharpest at either their widest open or stop down. It's somewhere between. So the lower you start, the you know the better off you are when it comes to the sweet spot. It'd probably be like, for instance, on a two eight lens, it's going to be typically around f five six, right. which with something of that focal length is going to offer a really nice bokeh. Yeah, or bokeh as some of our users love to remind me. I don't care which <laughs> one you pronounce it with. By by the way, just so you know, it doesn't matter to me one bit. But I'm trying to. Accommodate, accommodate all of our listeners. Yeah. So, so Boca or Boca, you, you pick. Let me add, too, be sure to look at Scott's pick this week uh, with all the fantastic Olympic photos because photographers in there make a, a real point of, of telling not specific equipment, but they're mentioning their lens lengths and apertures and, and so on on a lot of the fantastic photos. And uh, I'm noticing that a tremendous number of their shots that are 2.8 lenses were taken at 2.8 because they wanted that really shallow depth of field. Yeah, that, that's, and that's hard for an amateur to get. But if you look at those pictures, you'll see a lot of five and 600 millimeter lenses out there. Yeah, and, and one thing in general, just as a, as a reminder, is that if you go to Flickr, you're going to see uh, there's a lot of uh, the ability to look at the EXIF data that's in a lot of the photos. If you find photos on Flickr that you really like, and you're trying to f- kind of uh, reverse engineer uh, what happened there, why do you like it, uh, definitely make sure to check out what they were using. Because a lot of times you can find that out. And I think a lot of people upload it. I know I upload stuff and I don't even think about the fact that all, all my sh- shot information is going up there. So uh, so anyway, a lot of people have that. If you see really cool photos, um, definitely try to get a, get a sense of what you're looking at uh, and look at looking at the data. And also with your own photos. Uh, I think a lot of people don't know what they were shooting while they were shooting it. And when you get that photo that has that really short depth of field or you get something that you really like, make sure to look at what, you're, what, what, what actually happened there, uh, even stuff you don't like. Um, and, and that'll help you kind of try triangulate uh, what really works for for your eye next question here we have uh, fisheye lens uh, question here from brendan coles says hi twip gang i've been uh, thinking about purchasing a fisheye for a while now and after listening to alex i guess that, that's me uh, about uh, talking about his newest lens he decided to take a plunge and pick one up he goes do you know uh I know you can use a lens to um, take 180 degree uh, super wide angle shots, but was wondering what software uh, we would recommend to correct the lens distortion afterwards. Uh, I was uh, wondering if you had any tips using uh, distortion, using the distortion that that results um, from using a lens like that for creative and unusual shots, uh, other than just taking close ups of people's faces, which I I like to do. So um, so anyway, uh, Scott, do you have any any input on that? Well, you know, it depends. I actually like the the barrel distortion myself yeah. in, in a lot of those photos. I think it makes them, you know, gives them character. But if you want to correct them, most of the modern software tools, for instance, Aperture has it, uh, you know, can can do some of that correction for you. And there's specialized tools available beyond that if you really want to go crazy and try to get a perfect rectilinear shot. The other thing is you can you can actually buy a rectilinear corrected lens if you've got the money. Right. Um, you know, they started around fifteen hundred to. I think there's a ten to twenty. I think there's a ten to twenty millimeter for the Canon that is. Uh, uh, I believe it's ten to twenty or twelve to twenty four, and I don't have it right in front of me. Um, that is rectilinear, and it's it's stunning. That's I, that's a crop sensor lens. Right. Yeah. Okay. Right. And then there's a again another one that's a that's a crop sensor lens uh, is the on the on the Nikon side there is the ten point five, which is, in yep. my opinion, one of the finest lenses ever made. I yeah, mean, it's just unfortunately they won't work on my D three. They won't work on the D three, but if you have an APS uh, size sensor, so if you if you have um, a, a non full frame sensor, uh, they are the ten point five is um, truly an amazing 
an amazing image that comes out of that 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 little lens. Uh, the other thing is is that the Nikon software. And for all the complaints that I have about Nikon trying to keep on forcing us to use their software, the one thing about it is is that the the Nikon knows all the Nikon lenses. And so if you want right. to, if, if you bring it into Nikon, um, I think it's Nikon Capture, Capture uh, NX. Uh, yeah. And so if you bring that in um, there, and you say I've got a Nikon ten point five lens. Boom. I mean, it does it mathematically perfect. You yeah, know, I and, have I have the new version, Capture NX two, and I did test that. And I have to say, it does work very well. I'm I, I'm not going to quit using Aperture. Obviously, it's just be too big of a jump for me. But uh, Capture NX two does have that built in, so that it's fairly automatic and very accurate. But you have to ask yourself: is is you know is it absolutely necessary to correct that distortion? Sometimes it adds to the picture. Yes, I, I, I've really gotten it. I have to admit it, and I've talked about it a little bit already, so I won't go. I really enjoy shooting with this, with my little Sigma 8, 8, eight millimeter lens. It's, there's something about it that is, uh, you feel like you can step in between people and take a photo and get the people on either side. I have a photo that I'm going to post here soon uh, that is uh, me at the New Media Expo, and I was sitting in between Leo Laporte and Amber MacArthur, and it's just this, you get to see exactly what we were seeing. You know, and, and it, they're stretched and bent, and I just feel like that's part of the photo. So it's, uh, uh, anyway, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, one well, more Leo, Leo in particular is stretched and bent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it turned out it, he was right in the middle. There was no distortion. And so, uh, so anyway, uh, last question here real quick. Uh, people have been asking me, uh, I've gotten a bunch of emails, so I'm just going to solve this for everyone uh, right now. People are asking me what the new, my new bag. Um, I got a Kata bag. It's a, it's a, it's a, I think it's, I believe it's a DR, uh, have it. I have it sitting across the room. It's a 467. And so it's a, uh, the, it, it takes the laptop, puts the camera in the bottom, puts the stuff in the top. It is, you know, it's the best bag I've ever owned. Each one wow. is the best one. It, I just keep on moving up. I had a Kata bag before and then I went to a Lowell Pro where I actually got one at a, at a conference. And then um, I think I've gotten, this is the first one I've actually bought for a while. So, you know, you, you speak at all these conferences and everyone gives you a bag. So I have all these bags. And I, I had a Kata bag before, and then um, and then I was given this Lowell Pro one that I was using, and then I finally decided I was actually going to plunk down money, and uh, it wasn't even that expensive. It was like sixty or seventy dollars, and um, just a really comfortable bag. Uh, and I'm going to do a video about what I how I pack it um, while I'm on my trip. So uh, well, that'll be one of the videos that we get up over the next couple of weeks. We've been. A little slow on the videos, but we're going to start picking up in the fall. So uh, we should have a lot more for you as we uh, as we get through that. And um, coming up, uh, do we have what, what? Do we have anything planned for next week, Aaron? Next week's wide open at this point. It's I wide open. We be doing uh, listener questions or pick a theme for next week. Okay, so we will. Uh, um, we are going to surprise you next mm-hmm. week. That's all I can say. And, uh, and so um, uh, we, we were still putting some stuff together here, and, uh, and it'll either be a lot of QA. I, I, I suddenly I, I realized I was never going to get to the bottom of the questions. Aaron gives us so many questions that we could possibly answer that um, I got about halfway through and realized, oh, right, he gave, he gave me more than we could get to. So we've got a lot of questions, and I think we're almost due to try to catch up on some of those questions. And so we'll either do that next week or we'll have another theme for you. Um, and uh, Scott, do you have a tip for us for the week? Well, I, I will make one up on the spot. That's what I, I love throwing that. I just throw that right at Scott and uh, and see what he does with it. So I, I so here's it. here's my tip. 
and I wrote about this on the blog today, so uh, it'll be good to uh, put it out into the podcast because I know for some strange reason there are people that don't visit both, although for your photography, what do you, health, guys you should. If you're listening to this, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? Twipphoto.com. That's okay. what you should be thinking. But anyway, uh, my tip is if you're going to go out on a big photographic journey like I'm going to in a few weeks to Alaska – and you need backup storage for your photos, you probably have an external backup storage device you haven't thought about necessarily. It's your iPod. Some um, iPods, not your iPhone. I- Mo- most of the iPods, uh, particularly the newer ones, are all disc-mountable, and they'll act just like a disk drive. So you can bring your iPod along and hook it up to your laptop, and you now have some external storage without having to buy anything separate. You won't be able to look at raw files or to take a look at them and see what they look like, like you could if you bought something like an Epson P7000, but you know that's extra money. If you want to take advantage of the gear you already own, most iPods, even a shuffle, can be made to act as a disk drive. So and that's I believe, well, one of the things we'll have to look at is I believe that they actually make a, a there's an apparatus that'll pop onto the iPod so that you can load it directly Yes, yeah, um, some i some iPods can adopt that. Obviously, a shuffle can't because it doesn't have the twenty pin dock. But right. most of the iPods with a twenty pin dock can buy an adapter that will allow you to connect directly to your camera. At least some models of camera, and you can download directly to the iPod. I've done it. In fact, when I was doing weddings, I used to carry an iPod just as a third, you know, level of insurance that I would have all the images because. Nothing makes a bride matter than telling her you lost all her files. <laughs> yeah, that's a that that's a bad thing. So, so that's my tip. Look at your iPod if you want to save money as an external hard drive to store your photos on and to use as a backup. Great. Thanks, Scott. And Scott, where can uh, people find you? Tripphoto.com. Of course, uh, Aperture Nature Workshops is a place that I'm hanging out because we're about to launch our year-long tour with Apple and Aperture with the help of some friends at places like Drobo and, and Think Tank Photo and Peach Pit Press and a whole bunch of sponsors. You can see the whole list of Aperture Nature Workshops. We do have the contest going on, Alex. People can enter for free and they have a chance to win an all-expenses-paid trip to the workshop and about $2,500 worth of goodies. I'm ha- spending a lot of time right there. And, of course, I'm on the Twitter at Scott Bourne. Aaron, where can people find you on the internets? Oh, you can find me at my at my blog, halfpress.com, H-A-L-F-P-R-E-S-S.com. And I also go by the same name on the, on the Twitter, um, Half Press on there as well. I do want to mention, Alex, before we go, that, that uh, Steve is not here, even though he was here, but he's not here now. Um, uh, he wanted us to mention that uh, he's got a presentation. It's free at B&H Photo September 14th. Fantastic. And, uh, He's going to be doing some stuff at B&H in New York. So if, in your, if you're in New York, you want to run into our buddy Steve Simon, he'll be at B&H on the 14th. B&H is such a great place. I just like wandering around. In there. It's very expensive to hang out there. I would call it Mecca, but I don't think that's really the proper name for, for B&H. <laughs> I always think of it. I, I, I kept on saying, uh, you know, the, I, I, I kept on saying, you know, it's, it's the Mecca for, for photography. And people said, have you actually been there? So, uh, you know. It's kind of ironic. I don't yeah. think of it. <laughs> so anyway, uh, so until next week, you put that lens cap right back on. <laughs> <laughs>